Welcome to Fearless Do More, the podcast where we dive into the minds of some extraordinary and fearless businesses and people, people who are challenging the status quo and who are helping to change the world of business around us. I'm your host, Jill Hunter. I'm the managing partner at Square One Law. On each episode, I'll be chatting to innovators, change makers, and trailblazers, where we explore the unique journeys of our guests. We'll delve into the fears they face, the setbacks they've overcome, the lessons they've learned along the way. We'll uncover the secrets behind their resilience and we'll find out what motivates them to keep going, even in the face of adversity. We'll also have a few laughs along the way too. My guests are all leaders who relentlessly pursue their passions, not only to create a better tomorrow, but who inspire us to push our own boundaries, those who fear less and do more. Hi and welcome to our podcast today. Today I'm I'm talking with Paul Looney, who is the managing director of Cavley. Paul, welcome. Thank you very much. Um, Cavley. Mm -hmm. People will think I don't know who that is, but actually they probably do. They probably know more about our brands than our our holding company, as it were, which is much the same as it was when I actually joined. When I uh, when I got a call. over 20 years now to say, would you be interested in joining Cavalier? I went, and who are they? <laughs> so uh, so I think it's something that uh, is well known in our Scandinavian countries, uh, Norway and Sweden in particular, where our founder's name, which is where Cavalier comes from, uh, is the predominant side of things. In the UK, it's about Primula, I guess, really. It's a brand name that people know, Primula Cheese. And Castle McClellan, which is based in southwest Scotland and that produces a number of other dairy-based products, uh, such as cheese bakes and, and the like. They were family favourite in my, in my house. Excellent, cheese good bakes. to especially, hear it. <laughs> especially at Christmas, it's always an excuse to get a few cheese Absolutely, bakes in. Yeah. Absolutely, <laughs> So how does a, a Norwegian cheesemaker end up in Gateshead? Wow. Well, if you go back to the history, I guess the business itself was started oh, 100, and so, 100 and so years ago now. Uh, it came to the UK in 1924. Uh, and eventually on to Team Valley in 1960. And basically the, the owner, the founder, Olaf Kavli, uh, he was, as those days, called a travelling salesman. So it was his company, but he basically picked up products, took them into Europe and started to export them. Uh, the UK became a strong market for them. So that's where they really decided to focus. Uh, set up a site just north of, of Newcastle originally, as I say, then moved on to Team Valley in just about 1960. I mean, Primula is quite an I- iconic brand. Yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, I have memories of um, um, dinner parties for my parents when I was uh, <laughs> younger, which were, you know, celery with uh, yes, Primula cheese squirt down the middle, which was one of my favourites. I used to always try and pinch a few of those. Um, but there's, there's, Primula has, has ch- it's changed quite a lot. It's, it's an innovative business. It's not one that sort of stayed in the 60s. Very much so. And I think we've, that's been really part of the challenge. Mm. I think if you think about... Every new Primula, or every new, their mum and dad have Primula, or even their grandparents have Primula. And I guess it's how we translate that and evolve it to continue. Mm. So it, it's about packaging fo- uh, format. So we've, we've changed from what was originally an aluminium format into now an easier squeeze uh, plastic format. Ironically, again, we're just looking at that now from, in, in terms of sustainability. Is, is plastic the best way forward or moving back to aluminium? So that's part of our, our, our consumer focus groups at the moment uh, for the future. Uh, and then you've got the flavours which you've got to develop as well. So we've gone from what you probably remember as things like cheese and pineapple. Yeah. Uh, we've still got things like cheese and chive and cheese and ham. 
Um, but we've now brought in more, more relevant and, and contemporary flavors like sriracha and jalapeno and those sort of things. So it's, so it's keeping the flavor profile mm. interesting for new consumers to come into. Uh, so you can continue to bring new consumers to the brand, I guess, over time. And um, one of the things that I think people probably don't appreciate is, is how the, the, the business is structured. Mm -hmm. um, because it's not actually uh, a business that's set up for profit in the traditional sense. No, not at all. It's, we, have to, we have to generate profits. That's the most important thing. So we're not a not-for-profit. Um, we have to generate profit. Um, so we're a commercial entity in that sense. But all the profits that we generate after reinvestment are given to support good causes. So I think in the last, uh, in overall terms within the group, we've given away over hundred million pounds in the last 10 years. Wow. Uh, and uh, locally, uh, we, in the Northeast, we've given away uh, nearly 10 million into the UK. So, so it's, it's, uh, it's a fantastic story in, in many ways in terms of the, the way the owner set it up originally as a trust. He didn't have any sons and heirs to pass it on to. So he set it up into a trust. And that's continued. And originally, the, the, the trust board and the, the holding board, uh, and they still do act separately. Um, so they're independent. But we're now starting to work much closer. So it's how we can almost leverage that good news in terms of giving our money away mm. without compromising ourselves as well. And that, that's always a fine balance, I guess, really. Um, so we do have many ways of, of communicating with consumers and the wider public. Um, and we have each year our own people within the within the workplace can also choose uh, who we should give money to. I was going to ask about that. How yeah. do you decide which which causes to support? So, so we have three key strands. It has to be humanitarian, cultural, or into research, um, and that's really uh, derived from from the trust itself. That that's the constitution, if you like, of the trust. Um, and we have to then balance that off locally and say, right, okay, we've got two, three hundred thousand pounds of money that's come back from us for us to give away locally. And our workforce, our colleagues, there's a small committee uh, for Cavalier in the community, uh, Kit C, as we call it. And they, um, and they have the opportunity then to receive nominations from any charity. And typically it tends to be close to our sites, to be fair. Uh, and we encourage that because I think you can make a, a real difference mm. with a smaller charity. There's nothing wrong with the big charities. We, it's great and we support some of those big charities looking at things like ME or um, there's a big study going on at the moment which we're supporting in terms of children's mental health uh, from, from, a, from a group perspective. But I think locally when we're in Gateshead, we can make a real difference. So things like Washington Riding School, where we built uh, new stables for them, which they could then... Um, rent out for livery, which then generates an income. So it's, it's looking at those sustainable options. Um, we've done some other work recently uh, in some of the, the, the more challenging areas, should we say, around, around, the new, around Newcastle, where we're looking at how we can build maybe a, a kitchen uh, into a local uh, centre, which then creates meals for, for, for the local community at a, at a lower price rather than to go to a shop and buy them. So it's those sort of things which you can work on with, with, real, with real charities locally and make a real difference. And having that sort of um, overarching ethos around using the business for good, mm. do, how does that impact on recruitment, for example? I think it's, it's very positive. Mm. Um, I, think, I think it's getting that balance of letting people understand that you, know, you can come into this business and we have a, a long-term vision, a long-term plan. So having worked previously for, for 
large national companies or, or international companies, um, you're always only as good as your last quarter, if you like. So when you're reporting your numbers, mm. uh, if, you know, decisions are taken in a much shorter time frame. Whereas I think with Cavley, we allow ourselves, and we've seen that probably in the last 12, 18 months with the challenges in the marketplace generally, uh, we allow ourselves a bit more time to understand the dynamics, what we need to do, make those changes, and then move forward again. So putting that across to somebody when you're bringing somebody in, getting that cultural fit with the individual mm. is quite critical. I think we've probably probably learned sometimes that um, not everybody fits this style, which is fine. Yeah. In the same way as people who work for us maybe wouldn't stay another style of business. Mm. So it's it's a, it's about getting that right fit. But it certainly has a positive when we go to the marketplace to to talk to people about this is why you know our reason for being is to create value for good causes. Mm -hmm. Let's do that and let's let's, let's live it really as, yeah. as, a, as, as a whole. It's a really strong, a really strong message. Yeah, I think it is. It is yeah, yeah, I think it is. And you mentioned there some of the, the sort of the challenges that you face. What's uh, what's going on in the world of, uh, of, of cheese at the yeah, moment? Yeah, well, I guess twenty twenty two was a year for for many people, uh, not just uh, not just Cavley in, in terms of food manufacturers. I think because that's where that's the sphere in which we we operate. Uh, so raw ingredients and packaging. I mean, if you take cheese for example, so we buy blocks of cheese. Primula cheese comes from basically taking real blocks of cheese and adding heat. We melt them down uh, to make it spreadable. Uh, and, then we, and then we add real ingredients in terms of the flavours. So it's real ham that goes in there and it's, you know, it's real chives or, or prawns, as it were. So all those costs went through the roof basically last year. Cheese went up by about 130%. Wow. So you, you can't absorb that amount of, of cost and just continue. So we had to go to the market and we, when we took uh, some price increases in the marketplace, as probably everybody had to. And again, that's another challenge dealing with the, the our customers, the supermarkets predominantly. Mm. Uh, but they were supportive. I mean, the timings, obviously, there's always a delay and they have every right to challenge and, and discuss what's made up those extra costs. Uh, but it was great to be able to get those increases through. Hopefully we remain competitive in the marketplace. Uh, and, and the market stabilises at, at a new position, I guess, really, with mm. some of the other players in the, in the market. Then on top of that, you've got things like energy um, as well, which I think everybody, everybody obviously suffered from. Um, and I think the, the biggest one over the last, as you came out of pandemic, was really people. And you mentioned people and recruiting, but I think it was, it was about people were very stable for a, a two-year period while the pandemic was around. You know, it was difficult or won't be more difficult to move or people didn't want to move. And then as the pandemic finished, obviously it was, uh, it was <laughs> all, all the stops came off and everybody thought, oh, let's have a, have a think about what we do. So mm. uh, we did well, I think, because we retained, you know, obviously a very strong core of people with, with, because of what we are and what we do. Um, but when you go into the market for skilled people, especially people like engineers and, and those sort of special mm. skills that you need in food manufacturing, I think it was, it was quite challenging. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and I think that's a common thing when I when I talk to people. Skills is, is quite often up there, yeah. At the top, particularly getting enough people, yeah. the right people, exactly. Um, and then once you've got them, retaining them yeah. because competition's fierce for Aye. talent, and people are poached. And, and I, th I think in the northeast, I think people tend to either have been here, go away, and then want to come back. Yeah. Or they, they come here and they like the area, maybe it's university, and, and they find a job and, and then they settle here. Mm. So, so I think you, it's hard to have somebody who's got no knowledge of the Northeast to come to the Northeast 
Yeah. If you want to go to the link, I think it's fine. I mean, I'm obviously you can probably tell from from my my accent. Really, I'm not from the northeast originally, although <laughs> I've been up here for 25 years now, nearly. Um, and kids were born up here and everything. But uh, but but I think from a for bringing in people into the northeast, it's it is still a challenge. I think. Mm. Hopefully that will change as um, as the northeast's profile yes, is raised. I mean, there've been a yeah. number of television programs and things recently oh, which have all been centred on the northeast, yeah. which I think are doing us putting us, us more on absolutely. the map, absolutely, and not just as a, a party city. No, uh, no, 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 as a as a place where you can have a viable business and well, it is and, 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 and the beautiful countryside. I think Robson yeah. Green, for instance, is oh, a wonderful piece of Northumberland, yeah. hasn't he? So yeah, yeah. it's it's great to have people like that who are sort of um, advocates, really, for the area. And although they've got careers that are probably all around mm. the world, they still come back to the northeast and have a, have a positivity around it. So it's great. So what 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 led you to the northeast then? Basically, it was a job. So I was I was in previously we were in York, uh, again wonderful place. I, I loved York as, as a city, uh, but the opportunity for this one when it came up uh, in two thousand, um, really it wasn't commutable. Clearly, so even though I joined the company as as sales director. Um, in 2000 and then uh, I've taken on various roles in terms of supply chain and a broader commercial director role and then deputy MD and an MD uh, from 2008. So it's been, um, it's, been a, it's been a great sort of, I've really enjoyed the career I've had up here and, and the life we've, we've, we've enjoyed up here. Um, but I guess would I have chosen to come to the Northeast if I hadn't been asked, if you like, by, by Cavley? Yeah, yeah. It probably wouldn't have been on my, on my list. Uh, but having come up here, it's been it's been great for us and the family. So. And were you in food manufacturing beforehand? Yeah. So previously, I, I'd worked for Danone. Um, you know, yogurts, but they also owned things like Evian and HP mm. and, and those sort of things at the time. Uh, Jacobs. Uh, and then I'd worked pre- prior to that for a company called Schwann's, which uh, produced frozen pizzas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then before that, I was in retail. So I was with Sainsbury's. So that's where I started my career. With, so you coach a turn gamekeeper now. Yeah, pretty much so, yes. <laughs> so, and you, you never forget those days. I always I always remember the days in, in Sainsbury's. when you, It was a store-based, predominantly store-based role. Mm. Um, and uh, you used to have, in those days, you used to still have representatives from companies coming in and taking orders in the right, stores okay. on a weekly basis, you know, and then the order would be delivered. So life moved on a long way very quickly, you know, with central distribution and those mm. sort of things. So it's... Uh, and how has technology changed? How has that impacted on the business? Because you must have seen a lot of sort of technical change around manufacturing. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think the biggest change to us was putting in a, a full ERP system um, about 2004. So it's quite a long time ago now where it went in. So that integrates everything together, really, in effect, um, in terms of supply chain, right through to manufacturing, finance, everything. Um, so I think once that's in, and it's, it's always a big change. It's like people, I think... Um, I've mentioned things like SAP before, yeah, SAP. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, ours, is, ours is a different one, but it's it's that similar sort of style of of, uh, of model. And uh, I think the pain barrier never goes away because <laughs> you're always constantly evolving it, you know, and, and tweaking it. So mm. uh, it's how you can then integrate things into that. So at the moment, one of the big projects we've got is how we can focus on our uh, operational efficiencies uh, within the business. How we can improve those, improve yield, etc. So it's it's, a, it's an ongoing thing, but it becomes more more highlighted, I guess, when costs rise, and you realise you maybe don't are getting a hundred percent yield. That cost becomes a bigger proportion of your of your co- overall cost. Um, so yeah, so it's uh, so the, the the that side of things in terms of manufacturing is is constantly evolving, and, and we have a, our own internal 
mechanism called Cavley Best. So we, which is really around how you can uh, achieve manufacturing excellence okay. uh, within the business. So I think we started off with a world-class aspiration, uh, but to do that, obviously, you've got to look at other people and understand what world-class really is. Mm. Um, and then once you've, once you've measured where you are against that, is then putting in place those, those steps to achieve mm. uh, continuous improvement year on year. So that must help with um, also with the sort of negotiations with the supermarkets who are notoriously um, difficult to deal with. Um, how much does the the brand sell itself now? I think every time you speak to a uh, a retailer or a customer generally, I guess whether it's retail or um, hotels, restaurants, caterers, I think you have to start or, or almost in your own mind start from scratch. Mm. So you have to almost prove. I mean, buyers come and go. Um, they're a bit like uh, a bit like policemen. They seem to be getting younger all the time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I guess what we have to do is is almost part of an education, really. So, part of that when we go and, when we go and see a, a, a buyer will be to talk around the business, our background, our ethos, the way we do business, uh, linked to the trust, and then from there talking around why and what's the data behind why consumers buy our brand. Mm. You know, and I think most of the decisions now, or a lot of decisions now, from a retailer perspective, are based on data. So you can talk around your investments, and that's part of our plans really over the next five years or so is is to grow by. Our target is to grow by sixty percent by twenty twenty eight. That'll take us to a from a twenty four million pound business to a forty million pound business uh, on spreads. Um, and if we, if we can do that, we have to support. The, the customer to understand why they need to make the decision to list us. So we can have some great products. We can generate as many products as you like with wonderful flavors. But if you can't get the retailer to put it on the shelf and then the consumer to take it off the shelf, it's all pretty pointless really. So, so our above the line advertising is, is critical. So what message do we want our consumers to have? Why should they pick Primula when it's on the shelf? Mm. And then what, how do we get that message to our customers, um, the Tesco, Sainsbury's, et cetera, of the world, about why Primula is relevant for today? You know, because a lot of them will look at it and go, well, it's, it's spreadable cheese. Why should I put it on, why should I put you on rather than two or three of your other competitors? Mm. Uh, and that's, that's, that's really where our sort of integrated trade marketing, marketing uh, campaigns support the brand and hopefully move it forward. And you mentioned sustainability earlier. Is that a, 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 a key part of the business yeah, now? Yeah, I think for every business it has to be, doesn't it, really? That's part of what the consumer is asking for. And we should really be asking ourselves, mm -hmm. what are we doing? That's, that, what is the right decision to take? And I think that's, that's the way that we try to challenge ourselves. So every decision that we take, we're never going to be the most sustainable business in the world. Our, our technology and our, our, our infrastructure doesn't support that at the current time. However, we can do things better. And every change that you make and every decision that you take, I think, mm. is where it's critical. So when we come to think about tubes, where do our tubes, our, our cheese and tubes go? Is it better in the long term for the consumer and for the, for the world in an aluminium tube or a plastic tube? It would, it would be logical to think that it would be aluminium. Recyclable, recyclability is better. There isn't really currently a recyclable or recycled plastic you can use, which is food grade. No. So we have to use uh, fresh plastic, in effect, uh, for uh, our tubes. But it is recyclable. So once the consumer has it, they can it can go into other products. So as long as they uh, it, it, it put it into the right bin, 
ultimately uh, the, the the cheese tube itself can be recycled um, and that, that that was an important move for us but again each one of these steps you have to review each time to make sure that you're making the right decision mm. as you look forward okay so in terms of, of, of yourself what mm -hmm. what gets you out of bed in the morning what what uh well, <laughs> what drives you? I guess I, I love the business. Uh, I guess it becomes ingrained in you as well. So, uh, you know, I think getting up and, and I love dealing with the people. So when you go into the into the business, I, I love to be able to walk around the shop floor, um, talking to people across the whole business, uh, just um, understanding what, what makes other people tick as well, you know, um, and, and it's it's great to be able to do that. And that's really what, kind of float to my boat. There's the business side of things. Obviously, you want to make sure that the business is successful and that's that's still critical. But I guess if we've got, I think we've got a, you know, a great team of people, how we can continue to build that team of people so it's investments in terms of training and, and developing people. Um, I think as long as we can continue to do that, that, that makes me happy in many ways and and, uh, and hopefully brings the success to the business. And if um, you were going to give advice to yourself 20 years ago coming into the business <laughs> in five words in five words in five words what um, what advice would you give yourself 20 years ago it's what one, one of my colleagues um, uses a, a, a term uh, and that's uh, eating the elephant with a spoon I'm not sure whether that's five words or not but <laughs> And I think that's what you do when, when you first come in and you, you want to change the world. I think you know you think you can make all the differences, and I think it's, it's about having a, a plan, understanding when you want to achieve certain things, rather than trying to hit everything head on straight away. Because you know if you're not careful, you, you either run out of energy or you you're not as you can't deliver on the things that you want to do. Mm. So it's it's about breaking things up. I think in, in essence, focusing, ensure that you can delegate effectively. Um, I think one of the other things that you tend to do when you come in is, you know, you, you, we all feel we're Superman or super Superwoman. <laughs> um, and, and there are some great people who are probably, uh, but ultimately I think it's the, the strength of the team is much bigger than the individual. Yeah. And that's really something that I think you, you learn over time is that, uh, yes, it's about having a great team around you. You can't do everything yourself. You don't have the knowledge to do everything yourself, but if you put a great strength of team around you mm. with some great people, you can achieve so much more. And what's, uh, what would you sort of consider to be the, the sort of proudest moment in your career? What? Oh, that's a difficult one, I guess. There's, there's so many things, but I, I, think, um, I think there's been various numbers of things where we've been able to support, it comes down to the, to the business, really, um, taking away having your kids and everything else, because yeah, that's yeah. kind of, you know, if you have the opportunity, that's, that's lovely. Um, but within the business perspective, I think... Um, Personally, I had the, the, I was very fortuitous and I managed to meet the, uh, the Queen and King Charles, uh, as he is now, uh, through the business. Uh, we had a, a site visit uh, where they, they came to see us. So that, was, that was nice to be able to show off our business to, to, to our businesses, which was fantastic. But I think every year, um, and I stood up recently, we had a, we had a briefing uh, in, inside the business. Every, well, three times a year, we stopped the business for couple of hours and we brief everybody to keep everybody up to speed uh, where we are and I was saying to people then you know they should be proud of what we do uh, because it really does make a difference in the community and I think that's 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 where I sit I think really in many ways every year when when we give money away and I meet the people who the money is going to mm. the good causes who we support 
and you understand what they're doing with it, how, how much it makes a difference in the local community. You come away just feeling so warm and, and it's so proud about what you do. You know, you really are making a difference in, in, in our local communities. And I think that's, uh, I'm lucky as much as we do that every year. So I've got many moments of, of being <laughs> proud. But, uh, but yeah, you can't, uh, I guess you can't replace those sort of things. They're memories that will stay with you forever. Really important question. Does the king eat primula? Um, <laughs> if I told you, I'd have to shoot you. <laughs> What's his favourite flavour? That's what I want to know. Is he a prawn man? Oh, or I think he... <laughs> some, things have to stay, some things have to stay private, I'm afraid. I bet he, I bet he likes a cheese bake. That's the, uh... Oh, I can't deny that. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, one of the things um, that's really important to, to, to us in our business is that we have fun yeah. when we're at work because everybody's at work for such a long period Absolutely. of time it's got to be it's got to be fun um what 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 do you do for fun both at, at work and at, at home yeah i think it's important to um to, to understand uh not everybody treats fun in the same way yeah <laughs> so so uh, twice a year uh we actually again stop separately uh for the workforce um and we have uh, a karaoke afternoon so that's, that doesn't work for everybody, <laughs> but but for those who like it, and it's probably two thirds of the workforce who want to go away, we know we have a drinks and we have a, uh, a karaoke afternoon, and everybody just lets their hair down, and we just all all become one, if you like, and that's quite good fun. Um, can't say I'm the best singer in the world. What's your go-to uh, song? Oh, well, I, I do like a bit of Pretty Woman, <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, it's not done very well, I'm afraid. <laughs> Uh, so, so, so we do that. Um, personally, I still, I still follow my historical football team, so I'm still an Everton fan. Although, I, obviously, my kids have been brought up as uh, as Newcastle fans. Um, so, a bit of sport uh, puts a smile on my face. Or in, in the last couple of seasons, maybe not a smile on my face for, <laughs> for, for me. But, uh, but yeah. And then uh, outside of that, I guess just um, I, I love up until recently we had a small dog. Um, unfortunately, she she uh, she'd been she was fifteen, so she she uh, she passed away. But it's great to be able to just go out and walk down on the beach. Uh, there's some lovely beaches on the, in the northeast where you can just almost lose yourself for a couple of hours. Uh, walk along, come back, get a cup of coffee, uh, and it's uh, it's a different world uh, during that time. So a nice blend, really. Yeah, well, I think that's that that's one of the beauty of working in the northeast, isn't it? Yeah. You've got that that ability to blend. Yeah. Um, very easily, you can get. You, you feel like you are going home away from work, and you're in a different place. It is. It is very much so. I mean, I'm I'm lucky as we we live uh, just slightly north of Newcastle, uh, and we're probably uh, I don't know, 15 minutes or so from the from the beach. You know, so it's uh, it's it's a great opportunity when the weather allows um, to allow us to uh, to get out and about. Well, I think that's a, a lovely note to end on. So um, thanks ever so much, Paul. Really My enjoyed pleasure. having a chat with you today. And you. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for listening to Fear Less, Do More. All of our guests come from a diverse range of backgrounds, but they all share a common drive to face their fears, take action and create meaningful impact. If you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast, please follow us at Square One Law on Instagram and LinkedIn and share the content with your friends, family and networks. Thank you and see you again on our next episode.